1: There are people that love analytics football podcasts. There are people that love uh, football podcasts that focus on film study. And then there's the degenerates who watch this show who love both because we do our best to give uh, both sides of the football analysis coin. And this is an excellent week to do so uh, because we have poured over as much data as humanly possible. We have poured over as much film as humanly possible when trying to preview, in our opinion, The five best games of week eight. Some sneaky good matchups here, even with all the injuries, even with all the questions about who's going to play and who's not going to play. Again, we're recording this on a Thursday morning, so we don't have all those answers yet, but still sneaky good matchups nonetheless. Before we get into all of them, though, EJ, my wonderful partner in crime, how are you? What are you drinking?
0: How's your week looking? I'm good. The week's going by quick. I think this might be one of the first weeks where people question a few of our choices and go, why'd you pick that game? But we'll try and explain that to you in detail, as you said. Um, yeah, we're recording this again on a Thursday, uh, a little bit of a day later because uh, we have some musical accompaniment on your end of the scale. But I have, <laughs> I have yeah, found a way to put it. one more Buena Vesa in the back of the fridge. And since it's been a Fairly long morning for both of us. Cheers. Well, it, yeah,
1: it's ten fifteen in the morning, but we've both been up since four, so it's really lunchtime. Uh, so I have my, my favorite lunch beer. I got a Pacifico. Uh, you know, it's Halloween week in California, so it's
0: still technically summer here. Uh, so Pacifico, <laughs> I think, is is warranted. You know what's funny about that? Huh. We had our first freeze warning this morning when I woke up. Already? It was forty three yesterday when I woke up, and this morning when I woke up, the indicator on the like the computer when I fired up to do agenda work at oh god, thirty in the morning, um, <laughs> said possible freeze warning, and I was like, really? Okay. So,
1: meanwhile, all of our friends in Buffalo that are preparing for the TNF game tonight are like, "Fuck you, guys, man! Yeah. Like it's it's been like we've gotta sit in it." <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna get to Buffalo uh, eventually when. Well, when we do the stream tonight for one, and then when we recap that game uh, next week. But for now, we're going to stick with uh, a a town not too far away from Buffalo, Pittsburgh. They're facing a semi-red-hot Jags team this week. Uh, I just went to the Steelers-Rams game uh, 25 minutes away from me this past week, and it was the first time in a while that there was some uh, sort of competent offense being played, <laughs> but more contextually competent offense than anything else. It wasn't competent the entire game. It was another one of these like first three quarters, everything's going wrong, and then all of a sudden fourth quarter Magic Steelers show up. So we'll get into kind of the details of, of when and where the Steelers look good and, and when they don't, which is most of the time. Uh, but before uh, before I unload all of my notes, do you have any notes yourself, EJ, on uh,
0: the other offense that they're going to have to keep up with, Jacksonville Jaguars? I do. I think watching the Jacksonville offense is going to be really interesting. Watching Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, who's had some ups and downs. There was some film came out um, a couple of weeks ago about Doug Peterson pulling him aside in the tunnel and having a Rather terse conversation, which I think is very natural coach and coordinator stuff, but got overblown a little bit. Press Taylor's gonna have to try and weaponize Travis Etienne. Like that's what's working for the Jags right now. He is almost 30% of their total yardage, 30%, 37% of their TDs. And they need to find him ways to get him the ball, whether it's in the passing game or in the rushing game. And it's gonna be tough either way. We'll talk about the Steelers defense in a bit, but they're they're very good against the run. They tend to be because of the structures they play very good against a short passing game as well. But Press Taylor is going to have the challenge of getting the ball into Travis Etienne's hands because, you know, somewhat as he goes, so go the Jaguars. Yes, they also have Trevor and lots of passing weapons. But when Travis Etienne runs the ball, well, the Jaguars tend to do well on the other side, uh, the passing game side, as opposed to the rushing game side, they got to get Calvin Ridley going. Calvin Ridley, they got to get him going again it's not that he's never been going in this offense they just of late he's had almost nothing I don't care how they do it but he's only had four targets in the last game he's only got 35 yards total over the last two games that's not enough for a guy you brought in to be a number one and there's a lot you see lots of fancy analysts and everybody else saying Calvin Ridley is a (laughs) psyop Calvin Ridley is a is a mirage like he's not a real thing He can absolutely be a real thing, and they are going to have to work him in with some targets, and generally that pays off. Now, Jags fans who are very close watchers of the team will say, well, over the last two weeks it hasn't been. They've tried to get in the ball, and it hasn't really paid off. You don't stop with a guy like Calvin Ridley. You keep getting the ball. Shoot or shoot, right? Get the ball in his hands. He's a weapon. They need to find a way to do that to get their rhythm back. What's interesting about this Jags offense as
1: it relates to Ridley They've faced the fourth fewest snaps of cover one in the NFL in passing situations. So teams don't really play a lot of like straight up man coverage against them. They're going to see a lot more of it this week because the Steelers love playing cover one. That's one of their favorite coverages. It's, it's cover three, cover one, and then situationally in like third and long, they'll play cover two. Um, but third and five, like that's, that's cover one city for them. They've already played the Colts twice. They played the Bills, Texans, Chiefs. All of them largely played uh, zone, which is, um, in terms of the types of zones they, they saw, it was a lot of cover two, a lot of quarters, and then either cover six or cover eight, um, depending on how you want to, f- depending on, on the label you want to put on it for quarter, quarter, half, versus half, quarter, quarter. Um, and, you know, they brought in Calvin Ridley to win one-on-ones against man coverage. You know, they brought him in to be a separator. They brought him in to be the alpha. He's got to go out there and beat these Steelers corners, You know Joey Porter Jr. included, who has been fantastic for them, but really needs to go out there and win. The last time they faced a defense that played as much man as, as they're likely to see against Pittsburgh was Atlanta. Um, they rolled out cover One twenty-four times in that game, which is probably going to be a similar number to what the Steelers play. Uh, and most of their cover one they faced this year was was in that game, and uh, that was the Christian Kirk show. You know, he ate it up with, with eight for eighty four. Ridley only had two for thirty eight. So even in a game where it's like, okay, we brought in Ridley to go beat man to man, like they were still force feeding Kirk because he was winning more consistently. Um, we know the talent is there. We know the burst is there. I I truly don't know why he hasn't been featured, but by God feature the man like he's on paper on paper he's your best receiver and they're just not giving him the ball in favor of everybody else so um it's one of the NFL's great mysteries because I I don't know why uh things have shook out this way I mean you and I spent all summer saying like <laughs> oh my god Calvin really's a good football player and he's still a good football player uh, yep but he's a good football player that's not getting targets so it's just
0: it's kind of weird I don't know On the pass protection side, rookie right tackle Anton Harrison's played well in limited action so far. We both really liked him coming out in the draft. We thought he was one of those sort of high tier two tackles that was right there. Not necessarily in the top conversation of three or four, but literally right after that could play well and could play early. He's been both. But look, he's going to get pushed in a way that he hasn't been pushed before because the Steelers pass rush. They're lighting it up. And I think we'll know a lot more about Anton Harrison after this one because we're going to see him face stuff he hasn't seen yet and faced yet. How do you feel about that matchup between the rookie right tackle who's played well and the Steelers pass rush that is real solid?
1: The only time that he's been tested like this so far was in the Chiefs game where they put Chris Jones out (laughs) on him as an edge rusher and Jones got two sacks on him. Um, and, and TJ Watt is obviously a Chris Jones caliber player who will line up on the edge a lot more than Chris Jones did. Um, he's only given up 11 pressures so far this year, but four of them were sacks and they were all four not great sacks. It wasn't just like, Oh, Trevor ran into the pressure. It was like, Oh yeah, he got beat. Um, the, the, the problem that I've seen with him, if I can point to a problem again, he's, he's been fine. It's just when he gets beat, he gets beat real bad. Uh He's been a consistent two-hand puncher. Um, you know, he's got a lot of length, a lot of power, so he kind of wants to get into your chest immediately and just win that battle early. And Jones punished that with double swipe moves multiple times for sacks. TJ Watt obviously uses that move a lot himself. That is his favorite move. And I would caution Anton Harrison against using a two-handed punch against TJ in this game because he will get beat for a sack if he does so. Um you know, also had another sack he gave up early in the year where he just straight up got off the ball late. Uh, that's on him. Got a time to snap better. You know, got to. and I don't know if it was he just didn't hear the cadence well. I don't know if he just didn't know what snap count they were on, but got to be off the ball on time. Um, And then there's another one because he he does kind of play upright a little bit where he got hit by a a hump move, a a counter inside. like They they got him at the end of the pocket, and then they just went under his his armpit and literally threw him to the back of the pocket and got Trevor. So, again, some technical things that he can clean up. Uh, Overall, he's been fine for them, but, boy, you can't afford to make technical mistakes against the Steelers because not only TJ, but Highsmith will eat you alive if you do.
0: Yeah, it's going to come. We're going to see it. We're going to see a variety of moves. The rushers in Pittsburgh don't always use the same moves. And when they run loop stunts, he's going to get, you know, possibly a face full of Keanu Benton. That's not great either. Yikes. So it's yeah, it's going to be a long day. And like I said, I think we'll know more about him after this game than we do now. Again, it's been good. And I think really that was the book on him coming in is that he had a lot of potential. He played really well. In certain sets, played with a lot of power. So we expected that he would pre- be pretty good in the run game. The length is good in the pass game. But like you said, a little bit upright hand usage is a work in progress. And he's going to learn. <laughs> he's probably going to learn a little <laughs> bit on Sunday. We'll see. Flipping over to the other side, the Jaguars D. Look, the Steelers are going to try and run no matter what. Matt Canada has shown that he's going to commit to it. Whether or not it's efficient, they're they're just going to bring the run. So the Jaguars have the 5th rank run defense, and they're going to be tasked with making that an inefficient exercise. Whether or not they do, they're still going to see it. <laughs> Even if you shut the run game down for the Steelers in terms of what they're getting per rush, Canada has shown that he will commit to it and keep going with it and bang his head against that wall, much to Steelers fans' dismay. So Jags need to be able to do it. Um, once they do it, they can't relax because the Steelers are going to keep doing it kind of no matter what, whether it's working or not, which is a, a weird thing to do as a as an offense, as a football organization. But how do you see the Jaguars? Very good run defense stacking up against the Steelers kind of um, no matter what rushing attack. You know, it's kind of an interesting conversation because
1: you know, you, you listen to Steelers fans and their complaints about this offense, and it's always like, oh, we just, we run on first down, we run Najee into a wall, it doesn't work. Well, Pittsburgh has the sixth highest explosive run rate on first down in the NFL this year. Now, they don't have a lot of first downs to work with, because on third down, they've been so bad that they're not converting and, and getting a fresh set of downs for them to run again. but. They actually have quite a few explosive early down carries, both with Najee and with Warren. Like, they've oddly been able to to get a bunch of good chunk plays on first down. Now, second down run, entirely entirely different conversation, because situationally, down in distance, um... They're just worse at, on second down in terms of running the ball than they are in first down. Again, a lot of things about the Steelers are, are inexplicable. Um, but what, how I think that kind of matches up against the Jags' uh, run defense, which is exceptional on first down in their own right, Like I do think that that particular down is almost going to define this matchup between the Steelers' offense and the Jags' defense. Because if you're looking at the Jags defensively on first down, they got the third best EPA per play allowed against the run. They have the fourth best average depth of tackle, meaning like how far past the line of scrimmage are they making the tackle? Uh, They're the fourth shallowest, I guess you could say, like in terms of shortest, you know, getting getting contact early, you know, not just getting gashed. Um, and they've allowed the third fewest explosive runs on first down at only five going against a very good early down explosive run game in the Steelers. So that particular matchup is is really intriguing um, in terms of why the Jags have been so good on first down against the run. Big reason for that. 20% of all the early down snaps that they're facing against eleven personnel, and eleven personnel is the most common personnel grouping in the NFL. Three receivers on the field. Um, they match that with base personnel, twenty percent of the time, by far the most in the NFL. So situationally, especially early in the game, you know, when when it's kind of like a either a one possession game or a flat even game, when they get eleven personnel on first down, they will run their base three four personnel out there. And they're like, we're we're still going to stop the run. Like we are, we are going to concede the fact that you might check into a pass because you're not going to like this front that we're going to give you because you're not going to be able to block all of our big dudes. Um, You know, like we're going to concede that you're going to check into a pass, and we're going to trust our guys to rally and tackle and to hold that for less than what a run would have been. You know, they play a lot of cover two and they play a lot of cover three from base personnel against 11 personnel and they trust their guys and especially their linebackers to be super rangy and hold up. Um they got a pick on Gardner Minshew doing exactly that again it was 11 personnel, early down, uh game was still close. Um and and they they showed cover 3 and then kind of ran into like or rolled into like a really nifty uh cover 2 roll look where it's like a half half Inverted cover two and half like normal cover two and Gardner like his brain Fucking short-circuited he's like what's this, you know, and then he just threw it and the safety just caught it Like there's nobody around um, and so they, they are doing some really really nifty stuff from base personnel against three wide receiver sets And it's been a big reason why their run defense is so good so I you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, how how's Kenny going to hold up against Josh Allen on third down? And it, it's like that's that's not what determines this game to me. What determines this game is who wins on first down, because in a lot of ways, that's that's kind of been the driving force of both the Jaguars defense and the Steelers
0: offense. It's a byproduct of collecting of a lot of very athletic defenders who have range and versatility and Jags have been doing that for years and allows them to play base and the drop off not to be as great as it is with other teams when they transition from keeping an extra linebacker out there. Jags are stacked at linebacker inside and outside, so they can do a lot of fun stuff from quote-unquote base sets that look like nickel for other teams. I'd expect to see a lot of variety in Jags D to try and keep Pickett off balance. If Pickett gets a good solid pre-snap picture, Teams that basically sort of set it and forget it, much like his own defense, I'll say. That's what he sees <laughs> yeah. in practice, right? Like, hey, this is what we're going to play. He's better. I don't think he's necessarily going to see the heaviest diet of blitz after last week. I think Caldwell's smart enough to say, hmm, he, he started to respond pretty well to that. I'm not going to give him those opportunities. Instead, I'm going to run some of this more exotic stuff that makes his brain go, what is that? And see how my success goes against that. We'll see. We'll see. We were wrong last week about a lot of things, like we are most weeks. Um, <laughs> a, lot a lot of, of things. <laughs> a lot of things went opposite last week. It felt like we said this, so of course the opposite happened. And we joked about that, but we weren't serious, and the NFL took us really seriously last week, apparently. So on the Steelers' offensive side, like, I think even Matt Canada knows he has to target the cornerback opposite Darius Williams. <laughs> like, I hope He knows that because with Tyson Campbell out, Williams has been playing really, really well for too long against too many receivers to say, hey, I want to send my best guy against him and basically waste or have a bunch of neutral reps where he's basically a decoy. And that's not going to play out very well for the Steelers. In the last three games he's played, Najee's had 14 carries exactly This part fascinates me. The chances that an NFL running back has 14, 14, and 14 is just super odd. I don't know if it's scripted. I don't know, again, if it's checked into, but it just makes me wonder if Matt Kennedy eats the same thing for breakfast every morning and says, we will get (laughs) Najee Harris 14 runs every game. But again, they're going to run no matter what. We'll see how that works out for them. And the one thing that's been... I don't want to say a spark. I think you couched it uh, appropriately in the intro to this segment. The one thing that looked a little bit better for the, uh, for the Steelers offense, Deontay Johnson back really helps. He caught five of his six targets and three of those were for first downs. That's, that's a combination and his, you know, his average reception was in the 15 yard range. So He's, he's not only getting yardage, but he's also keeping the sticks moving, and that's the kind of glue they haven't had in the passing game, uh, really, in either of those categories. So it's a big get for him to be back, and I think we'll see his workload increase week by week as that continues to happen. Maybe that means a few less runs. I don't think Steelers fans would be mad about that right now. But how do you see the Steelers offense working in this one? It's
1: interesting because uh, not only do we get the – first through third quarter Steelers and then fourth quarter Steelers, which are two different teams. But you also get Kenny versus zone versus Kenny versus man, yeah. two very different quarterbacks. Um, You know, he, he was good against pressure last week, but part of that because the Rams were playing a lot of man behind it. And Kenny, when, when Kenny gets to the line of scrimmage and the ball is snapped and he sees it's just his receivers one-on-one, he's fine. He's totally fine. He's accurate. Balls out on time, well placed. You know, we saw we saw the game winner against Baltimore. Like we saw the back shoulder fades to Pickens uh, against the Rams. We saw we saw the bullet slants that he hit to Pickens. You know, I mentioned he had five uh, explosive catches in that game, and four of them were against press man coverage. Like it, Kenny against man is awesome. Like even the the big catch and run to Deontay, it was a return route against man. I I believe the Jags coaching staff is smart enough to realize that they shouldn't play man in this one, even though they in theory have the DBs to do it. It's more so about not giving Kenny the easy picture, not saying or not giving him the picture where he could just look down the field and be like, Oh, George is one-on-one. Let me just do this. Like, like, no, you, you have to, as you said, move guys around constant rotations, make him guess, make him think, you know, slow down his brain. That's, that's really what you got to do. Slow down his brain, slow down his eyes and give Josh Allen time to get there. Give really your entire defensive line time to get there. Uh, and you're only going to do that if you make it so that he can't just get the ball out in 2.2 seconds, throwing a back shoulder fade one-on-one down the sideline. Like that's, that's what you have to do. Um, and I do believe that the Jags will do that. Like, they're a very quarters-heavy team uh, on third down. Specifically, they don't play a bunch of man on third down like the Rams did, which means um, I, I have to imagine with all the different variations of quarters they're going to play, they're going to they're vary up those looks even within the quarters family, make Kenny think uh, versus quarters. Specifically, any type of quarters coverage, Kenny does have an 80% adjusted completion percentage, but he does not throw down the field. Like it's very much a. I don't want to use the word panicked. He has a conservative mindset against quarters, and I feel, I feel like it's he. He really doesn't want to make a mistake when he has a bunch of DBs with zone eyes on him, and so he will opt for. Uh, I'm gonna work the space underneath because in quarters there is a lot of space underneath Again, it's four over the top, three underneath, generally speaking. Uh, And so you're going to get the stick routes, like you're going to get the return routes, you're going to get the hitches and all that kind of stuff. And he'll work those because those are really safe against quarters. He only has a 6.0 average depth of target, 5.4 yards per attempt, no picks, but also no touchdowns, only one big-time throw against quarters the entire year. It's very, very safe. And I, I respect it on some level because he's trying not to give the ball away. But also at the same time, if I'm the Jags, I'm like, okay, we're going to run one of like seven different types of fun little ways to run quarters that we have. Uh, you know, whether we're starting out in middle field close or starting out middle field open and then, and then doing all the crazy movement that we do on the back end. We're just going to do that. And then live with the fact that he's going to throw stick routes against us on third and eight all day, rally, tackle, get off the field. Like, that's a big source of why the Steelers' third down percentage in terms of conversions is so low, is because they don't throw it past the sticks. Because Kenny doesn't do that. And again, I'm trying to be nice about it. He doesn't do that unless he's getting a man coverage look where he can say, fuck it, George is down there somewhere. Like that's that's kind of where the Steelers' offense is at. And I think you can win with Kenny Pickett, but you have to win with Kenny Pickett in a very specific type of way. And uh, the Jags are, structurally speaking, built in a way that I don't think is conducive to a a Kenny Pickett balling out type of game.
0: I would agree. (laughs) In in summary, I would agree. Um, Either way, uh, you know, they've leaned on their defense a lot. And the Steelers' defense is has been dominant and they're the reason that the Steelers are 4 and 2 this year because they've been outscored 103 to 127. Like without this defensive unit, they don't get where they are right now. Certainly not by relying on the offense that we just talked about. TJ Watt, talked about him earlier. It's 14th in total pressures. He's actually tied with Alex Highsmith, which is fun, his teammate, but he's third in sacks. That's Watt. Tied with the Jag's Josh Allen for another tie into this game. So Watt gets home more than most in terms of quality sacks. Out of the number of pressures, he has a high number of sacks. That's not surprising to anybody that's watching the film. So this is tying numbers and film together. But the entire defensive line is fierce and producing. Guys like Leal, Adams, Ogunjobi, and Benton are getting after it, and it makes it very difficult for opposing offenses to do what they want to do because, again, they're going to— They're going to come against the run. They are going to smash all the short stuff. They are going to put you under pressure. They are extremely physical. And that is largely the driver of what the Steelers, it's the identity of what the Steelers want to do on defense. And they're doing it very well this year. You talked about Joey Porter Jr. behind that. We talked about our sort of confusion about why Joey Porter Jr. wasn't getting more chances. Well, he is. So he leads the entire league in lowest completion percentage allowed out of players with 100 coverage snaps as a sorting at just 10%. Like, that's not leads the league for rookies, that's leads the league for corners. He deserves even more snaps, and over the last two games, it seems like Steelers got the message... Like he was averaging less than 20 percent of the snaps over the first four over the last two. He had 40 percent and then 78 percent. So the graph goes like this. It's a hockey stick. They are figuring out that Joy Porter Jr. on the field is a good thing. He's paying off those extra snaps. And that's something we've called for. And it just makes a very dangerous defense like even more dangerous, especially behind that rush. I mean, the Steelers took a long time to play a really talented
1: rookie who's better than the veterans. They What?
0: <laughs> I Steelers knew
1: was did that? Really?
0: I mean, weird, right? But at least they got the message. Some franchises just don't. Some franchises say, nope, no matter what, you're on the bench till game nine. At least they saw the production and went, you know, let's roll them out there for a few more snaps. And then, ooh, that worked really well. Let's roll them out there for almost double that amount of snaps the next game. Overall,
1: I expect the Jags to win this game. I would say a lot of the schematic matchups on offense and defense favor them. Um, Naturally, that means they're not going to win this game, and the Steelers are going to dominate because that's the type (laughs) of season
0: that it's been. Yeah, This is primed to be another roller coaster, but we hope we've given you at least a decent view inside. Um, What we think will happen, of course, that means, like you said, that it won't happen one thing really quick
1: and then we'll get right back to the show we are smack dab in the middle of fall so it's crew next season and obviously quarter zip season two so if you find yourself in the market for one of those or really anything else check out our sponsor for today Viori. If you're watching the YouTube version of this show, I'm wearing one of their crews right now in burgundy, but they also have a variety of other colors and styles too. Their entire brand is all about creating clothes that you can either be active in or go out in. They have extensive activewear lines for both men and women, but also carry a ton of styles for the office or just lounging around the house and watching football. They make clothes for people of all sizes and body types, as evidenced by me, a bigger dude wearing this stuff right now. And the material quality of each garment is really, really good. Everything I have from Viore has been washed several times at this point, probably over ten times each, actually, considering how often I wear it, and you wouldn't even know the difference. It still feels new to me. So I highly recommend checking out everything that Viore has to offer in their catalog, just to see if anything fits your personal style. And if you do go through their selection at viori.com slash filmroom, that's V-U-O-R-I.com slash filmroom at the link in the description below. And if you find something you like, you can get 20% off your first purchase. And on any orders over 75 bucks, you'll get free shipping and free returns if you end up deciding it's not for you. That's a pretty good deal for first-time customers. So again, that's available at the link in the description below. Viori.com slash filmroom. Thank you again to Viore
0: for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get back to it. Next game, we've got Rams Cowboys. Um, Rams offense, I'm start with the word we all love. Puka <laughs> we'll see more man this week. Uh, and he's gonna have to continue his winning ways that he started last week against it. We we highlighted in our recap that he's been a zone crusher early in his career. Incredibly productive. All the historical markers that he's surpassing certainly back that up but hadn't won so much against man. We thought Cooper cup coming back. He was going to be the man beater. Well, last year we saw Puka cape up against man, and that should be incredibly scary for opposing defenses. Um, Cowboys, especially run the second most cover one overall in the league, only behind the Browns. So Puka's is going to have to keep doing it. And I'd expect cup to get the same amount of work and looks that he did last week, but catch more of them. Some people might say, Oh, he only had two catches. It's true, but he had seven targets. And again, Cooper Cup didn't get bad against (laughs) man like he just hasn't played a lot
1: yeah the the drops from Cup were uncharacteristic I I Ah, can't imagine we're gonna see that two games like we're they happened right in front of me um and he was getting (laughs) your fault (laughs) it is my fault I, I curse the man just by being there but uh even all the Steelers fans around me when when Cup was dropping the ball they were like he can do that? <laughs> like, like that's, that's possible. It's not normal for him. What's going on? No. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's not going to have two bad games in a row. Um, I have to imagine that if the Cowboys get tired of all the man breakers that we're almost certainly going to see from Puka and from Cup, I have to imagine they're going to go back to playing a lot of cover three because that's how they respond to a lot of the formations and, and stuff that we see from. The Rams, and I know that because 49ers basically structurally run their offense uh, th- the same in terms of formation everything like that. Everything's condensed. Everybody's in the core. Um, they don't really, like, spread you out. They more so uh, use everybody compacted and condensed combined with motion to give themselves really favorable angles uh, in the run game, and then they run a lot of play action off that. Um You know, it's a lot of stacks, a lot of bunches. And and the Cowboys respond to all of this condensedness, if that's even a word, with cover three. (laughs) In the San Francisco game, they played cover three 65% of the time and got absolutely annihilated. And I know McVay was paying attention to that game because, of course, he was paying attention to that game. And I I do think that a lot of the man breakers that he's going to use early on are to force them back into cover three so that he can say... Dan, Mr. Quinn, you sit right there. You play cover three so that we can manipulate all these linebackers and hook zones the same way that Kyle did because we got all the same concepts in our playbook. Like We are, we are going to run high lows on those linebackers all day long. We are going to run dig routes against your corners that are going to be playing over the top and from outside leverage all day long. Stephon Gilmore is not going to be able to keep up at this phase of his career uh, with, with Cooper um, or even with Puka, you know, rolling inside on these dig routes with speed cuts. Like it, Stefan is, Stefan, I think still operates well uh, as a press man coverage corner, but he's, if you're asking him to play in space in cover three, it's a totally different conversation. And so I have to imagine this, this day is going to go similarly to the 49ers day from a schematic perspective. Now, whether or not, The Cowboys will perform better out of cover three. We'll see. A lot of that, I think, depends on how well the defensive line can just get home and get pressure on Stafford against a very vulnerable offensive line for the Rams, which we've talked about at length (laughs) throughout this season. Like, they are not as good in pass protection as the 49ers are. So if the Cowboys are going to shut them down, uh, it's going to be on Micah and all those guys. We'll see what happens, but schematically speaking, I think this is going to play out a, a very similar way to uh, to the
0: 49ers game. The rush game for the Rams is going to be a little bit different because Royce Freeman is in and He loves to build up steam, man. I kind of miss Royce Freeman. (laughs) Like, he loves to one-cut and get north-south, and we saw it last week a bunch of times, and they actually opened holes for him to do that. He just loves to plow through the A-gaps. They pulled it off versus the Steelers. Again, we just talked about the Steelers being a very good run defense for all the Cowboys backers who are out there saying, our defensive line's really good against the run. Yeah, so is the Steelers, and they still managed to pop Royce Freeman through three or four times for really good games, but he is a bowling ball. He is not Kyron Williams. He is not a slasher. He is not an outside speed guy for the most part. He is not really a cutter. He is a one cut guy that's going to get north south and power, and they made it work last week. So it'll be interesting to see how they make that work against Dallas. The Rams defense. This is maybe one of the best matchups of the week. No, I'm just going to say it's the best matchup of the week. Get your popcorn ready. Aaron Donald versus Zach Martin and Tyler Smith. You're going to see those reps. We're going to isolate them. We're going to sit back, grab our favorite beverage, and go, okay, this is awesome on awesome.
1: I mean, Tyler Smith's been amazing this year. He hasn't played every game, but even in a four-game sample size, to only allow two pressures in four games, like that's absurd. His pressure percentage allowed, if in, in terms of just percentage of pass-blocking snaps that wind up as a pressure, second in the NFL, second best in the NFL, I should say. I think Robert Hunt's the only one who's who's less than him. So Tyler Smith has been outrageous. And then of course, Zach Martin is Zach Martin, right? So in terms of uh, pass rushing three technique against elite pass protecting guard, it, there's really nowhere to hide for Donald in this one. Like he's going to have to go up against like an all pro caliber pass protecting guard, no matter where he's lining up. You know, maybe they'll just put them out, uh, against the tackles just, just to get them easier matchups. Cause believe it or not, the Cowboys tackles this year are easier matchups than the Cowboys guards. Uh, it's, it's a hell of a hell of a game, um, for a lot of ways or in a lot of ways, I should say. And that specific individual matchup is probably at the top of the list.
0: It's weird because somebody I know thought Tyler Smith was going to be a really good guard. I, you know, it's funny because when that draft happened, I'll have to go back and look <laughs> at
1: our draft live stream. You and I were both pretty excited about that pick. We were like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm in on Tyler Smith. And then but. I remember we, we were looking at like the draft grades the next day and we're like, why does everybody hate the Tyler Smith pick? Like he's fucking good. Like he's super violent. He could play tackle. He's, he'd be a Pro Bowl tackle or an All-Pro guard. And guess what? He He's going to be an All-Pro guard. Like that one at the time, like this is not a hindsight thing at the time we thought that was a great pick and then were befuddled that a lot of other people disagreed. And, uh, I, you know, we don't, we don't get a lot, right. I mean, we get a decent amount, right. I'm willing to hang my hat on that one. Cause you and I were, we're both part of the Tyler Smith fan club and he's thankfully
0: worked out. Yeah. And the big, the big debate that year was, you know, tackler guard, drafting, you drafting him to play tackler guard. And we said play both, but he was at the top of my guard rankings. I had him as a guard and he was right up near to the top. If he wasn't number one, I think he was number two. And it was because of that power, short area, quickness, all the things that we're seeing him sort of manifest in Dallas. And it was weird the next day because Dallas has obviously drafted interior offensive linemen high. Yeah. And had good success with it. So you would figure their fan base was like, hey, we trust them. We're going to we're going to give them some slack on this one. They've, they've got a good track record. Instead, it was kind of the opposite. So, yeah, that was that was befuddling. Speaking of befuddling, the Rams D has to tackle, especially late in the game, the game you went to. It absolutely crushed them in the Steelers game. They didn't tackle late. And that was the difference in that game. If they just tackled a couple of times. I don't think the Steelers offense could have overcome the yardage they had to. Instead, they just flat out gave it to them. Like, it was two easy, very large plays that put the Steelers in range to win that game. And just a quick shout out to another defender who is the less mentioned kind that we really like. Rush Yeast, probably the least well-known member of the Rams secondary, was one of the most involved against Pitt last week. He had a really good game, super active. Um, So just a quick shout his direction. Uh, One... Other
1: note uh, in this kind of Cowboys offense versus Rams defense matchup, um, you you and I have both been somewhat confused by the Cowboys run game this year. Mainly confused by like how unproductive it is, you know. Because we've we both loved Tony Pollard for years at this point, and we've both been waiting for Tony Pollard to get his shot. And Tony Pollard got his shot this year, and he doesn't look like Tony Pollard. It's like, so it's, sad. This it's is real so bad. sad. <laughs> oh. Like, and I, I get it. There's the injury that maybe affected things, but this doesn't look the same. Like he is 71st in the NFL among players with at least 25 rush attempts in terms of uh, missed tackles forced per attempt. He's broken seven tackles the entire year, and he's got almost 100 carries. Like
0: that's bad like objectively really really bad one of our favorite running backs in the nfl easily and he's averaging 35 rush yards a game over the last three like this is not a blip or a good defensive front or you know just he was feeling under the weather or anything else this is like wait guys what what happened like where do you go it's terrible i hate it
1: not breaking tackles the explosiveness seems less than it was pre-injury. Again, I, I don't know if, if something's going on physically, but that that doesn't look like Tony Pollard, and it's really, really holding them back. Now, they do get their run game coordinator back this week, Jeff Blasco. He was, he was gone for the first six, six games, I think it was. Um, maybe that affects things, but like that doesn't look like Tony Pollard, and I'm genuinely worried that it's going to be like this the entire year. And it's going to be all on Dak to do everything. And that's the that's yeah. situation.
0: That's the problem is without a true rushing threat, which Tony Pollard has been. That's the whole reason they retained him and made him the number one back in that offense. They get way too one dimensional and we throw it back in Dak's lap. Now, some Cowboys supporters might be saying, well, that's that's fine. Dak's great. Weird stat about Dak this year. He is the literal definition. He is the human embodiment of a roller coaster this year. <laughs> <laughs> Every other game for Dak has been really good. So check this out. Games 1, 3, and 5, 58% completion percentage, and two of their three losses happened in those three games. Games 2, 4, and 6, the even games, 78% completion percentage, 20% jump, and all three of those are wins. So Dak literally week to week has been up, down, up, down. Up, down. Now the bad news for Cowboys fans is if that pattern holds, this is a down week. I don't know. It depends.
1: How how are we counting the bye week? Are we are we resetting the pattern or are we counting the bye week?
0: <laughs> now we're That's a we're, good one. we're talking know. about that like transatlantic travel. <laughs> it's just jet lag.
1: Yeah, I don't know. The the whole Cowboys uh team has been frighteningly inconsistent this year. Like when they're on, they are on. Like yeah. they destroy teams when they're on. But uh when they're off, you you struggle to think that they're even going to make the playoffs, let alone win a playoff game. I just want to see them put it together for like an entire 3 to 4 week stretch. Like completely a 3 to 4 week stretch where every single week the offense shows up, the defense shows up, and I'm yeah. not talking about beating up on like really bad NFC East teams like the Giants. Like I'm talking like quality opponent, which I consider the Rams to be a quality opponent. Like, you show up and you annihilate them. Like, that's what I want to see from the Cowboys. Like, I haven't seen that yet from them. They're capable.
0: We just haven't seen it. Certainly capable. And that's what their fans want to see, too. And that's why being a Cowboys fan is so frustrating is because you know the stars they have on both sides of the ball. You see performances, you know. Week, I don't want to say week in and week out. It's like week to week or every other week or the defense fired off this week, but the offense really staggered. So if the offense can't get it going, they're going to need to lean on that star-studded defense. Micah needs to keep causing havoc. I'm not going to say cause havoc because he's been causing a lot of havoc. Third in the NFL in total pressures behind Hutchinson and Crosby, Demarcus Lawrence has been good on the pressure front as well. He needs to finish a few more this week. We have, we talk about sacks being fickle, but he's been in the mix. If you look at his pressure stats, it's not a one man show in Micah, and that's good. That's certainly better for any defense. Uh, quick note about former bootleg defensive gem Marquise Bell. If we're taking you know hat trips, hat tips, and victory laps on this one, uh, when I made Marquise Bell a, a defensive gem. A couple of years ago, a lot of people hadn't heard of him. Um, He's been playing well all over the Dallas defense, but especially against the run. He's been sort of what I think we hoped Divine Diablo would become for the Raiders, but he's been a better version of that for the Cowboys. And it was fun um, during the primetime game, the Sunday night game a couple of weeks ago, like everybody was uh, a lot of bootleg fans were in the comments going, I know who this guy is because I listen to bootleg, which is exactly what we aspire to do. Really cool to see a guy like that land in a good spot and basically play up to his potential because as an athlete had a ton of athletic potential, some really good instincts and we're seeing that the NFL game's not too big for him. it's just super cool.
1: Yeah, one of these DBs converted to linebacker, which which has been a trend. Um, I mean, not even just recently; I'd say going back eight nine years at this point. Um, I I will say this: there's no way he's still two o five. Like I I, I looked <laughs> no. at when you <laughs> no, put his name in the rundown, and I was like, I know he's a linebacker now, but that's that's not a that's not a DB body. Like he had to have put on some weight. Like yeah he's like two fifteen I'd bet maybe more like that dude is yoked like absolutely yoked
0: which yeah
1: more power to him like he again linebacker at two twenty ish is normal now um but they gotta they gotta update his weight. <laughs> because
0: that man is not 205 okay no no he is he definitely doesn't have the same body type that he did when he came out and he's progressed like he made a couple of splash plays most of them were on special teams in his first year and you could sort of see the potential but seeing him really sort of come of age hit that sort of sophomore bump understanding the defense firing through gaps using the explosiveness the range the length um, all those attributes and, and to make positive plays for a very good defense. This is not a you know defense that lacks stars is is really cool. Uh,
1: all right, next game on the docket. I've been waiting for this one for a while, but unfortunately uh, one of these teams is incredibly banged up, and so I feel like it might be a little bit one-sided when all is said and done. Uh, Brown Seahawks. If this was a full full-strength, full-strength Browns team, against not even full-strength Seahawks, just the current Seahawks, to me, this is like the game of the week in terms of just fun factor. Unfortunately, the Browns are not full-strength. They're very far from full-strength, and unfortunately for Cleveland fans that may be listening or watching this on the YouTube version of the show, um,
0: I don't have high hopes for this one. Yeah, it's. I too feel like we're getting robbed a little bit um, but first things first, we, we could just we could make this a total five minute summary for the game. Seahawks are wearing the throwbacks. It's over. Seahawks win.
1: Oh, and they're the best throwbacks, too. I, well, so I don't know. Good. Ooh, actually, they're, they're this really is, good. We okay, can just hold on. We hold can on. just Seahawks throwbacks it. against the Kelly Greens, the Creamsicles, the Dolphins throw. Like, that's probably the top
0: Oilers throw. are coming this week, too. No, no, Oilers no, no, no. I'm
1: ignoring those. Fuck them. I know. I. Know. <laughs>
0: Those don't count. <laughs> uh, they're good uniforms, but I understand the reticence. Anyways, we can just agree that like all the throwbacks are pretty dope. The Giants throwbacks that they wore a couple weeks ago against the Bills. I love those things. Like all the throwbacks are great. It's I think it's worth at least three points in this one. So probably the Seahawks roll on that. Um, let's talk about the Byron's defense. Normally we would talk about the Browns offense, but because of injuries, I'm going to start with Brown's defense because damn Miles Garrett, like. That's it. That's the tweet. Miles Garrett, completely dominant right now. Our buddy Brandon Thorne tracks a stat called PQR, pressure quality ratio. And it's basically talking about of the sacks a player gets or of the pressures a player gets, like how many are high quality? How many did they cause? How many did the quarterback just kind of were low quality where the quarterback just rolled into them? You alluded to that earlier. Two to one is a great ratio for PQR. That's that's the top guys in the league. Miles is currently at 4.88 to 1, almost 5 to 1. To put that in perspective, the only other player in the league that's even over 3, when he's almost at 5, is Jalen Carter. And (laughs) Jalen Carter's been wrecking freaking shop for the Philly defensive line. Everybody else is below 3 in the league, and Miles is almost at 5. Like, this is a guy that is playing the top of his absolute game at the height of his powers and really leading again, a defense that's full of talent, but he is playing up here right now. Miles Garrett is powering the Browns defense.
1: He is uh, now at the point of his career where a, he's still in his physical prime, but B he's seen enough now where he's got every trick and and you give a, a, a physical Marvel like that. Every single trick in the book. Every single answer to the test. And yeah, they're going to win like that. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's no different than it's going to sound sacrilegious. It's no different than prime Reggie white, put him on a guard, put him on tackle, stand up hand in the dirt. Doesn't matter. He's going to win and he's going to win with every single move. He's going to take your 330 pound guard and throw him with one arm. He's going to walk your all pro tackle back into the quarterback he, he is playing on an entirely different level right now, uh, even by his standards. And I'm, I'm not going to wade into the whole TJ Watt versus Miles Garrett discussion, because that gets me nowhere, <laughs> uh, other than just getting death threats.
0: <laughs> yeah, covered in tomatoes, that's where that gets you. But I will just leave it at this. He is easily, easily
1: one of the two to three front runners for Defensive Player of the Year. And it's going to be tough to unseat him if he keeps playing like this. Because this, like, I, even for him, we haven't seen him do this before. And he was already, you know, on the short list of names for best edge in the NFL. Th- this is new for even him. So... He's outrageous. You know, It's he's one of the reasons why the Browns still could win because he can take over the game by himself just like he did against Indy where everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Like, Miles can still just have a Miles Garrett day and win the game single-handedly. Um, but he's going to have to because <laughs> the Browns offense, you know, no Deshaun Watson again, so it's a, a P.J. Walker game again. Jerome Ford's out. He's got the ankle, so it's the Kareem Hunt show this weekend. And Hunt, just like Tony Pollard, the juice is not the same. He's got one broken tackle on 33 attempts this year, um, less than three and a half per carry. Only two explosive runs on the entire year so far, and those were when he literally wasn't touched at the line of scrimmage. So, uh, Browns offensive line, you're up, guys. Like you, you got to carry the <laughs> load on this one because the Hawks have a very, very good run defense. They're seventh in tackles for loss or no gain. Like you, you got to keep Hunt clean two to three yards past line of scrimmage or the run game won't be there. He's not going to break tackles on his own. He's not going to burn pursuit angles to the edge. Like th- that's what Kareem hunt is now. And as an RB three, you're fine with it as an RB one. You're not. So it's, it's gotta be the miles Garrett game and the Browns offensive line game. And short of both of those two things showing up, uh, it's going to be tough for
0: him watching the, the disparity between Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt over the past couple of weeks where they've been in the same backfield and you know getting touches behind the very same offensive line during the same game against the same defense has been uh, enlightening <laughs> in terms of running back is a young man's game in the NFL, and Jerome Ford is that, and Kareem Hunt doesn't seem to be any longer. We'll pivot, talk about the Seahawks D, I uh, talked about Miles Garrett. We're going to talk about a much younger player who is starting to ascend, not at that level, but Boye Mafe, guy we loved in the draft, is starting to lead the way for this rush with Jenna Nuoso banged up. Love Nuoso is a free agent ad. He's been delivering for the Clint Hurd defense. He goes down with an injury and Mafe just kind of grabbed the torch, didn't let it hit the ground and kept right on running. 20 pressures and four sacks this year, eight of those pressures. And two of those sacks have been over the last three weeks alone. So he is really starting. The light is coming on for him. He was a physical Marvel. um, That was a bit young in his player development. He was a bit raw. There was what we call untapped potential. We loved that in the draft. We knew it was going to depend a lot on landing spot. He has landed in the Clint Hurd defense. He has taken lessons from veterans around him and he is now saying, Nope, I got it guys. Um, making people sort of forget about the other edge rushers. I think when Nuosu comes back, it's going to be a very good one-two punch. Um, But until that happens, they just signed Frank Clark yesterday. So he is a Seahawk again, gives them, again, some insurance down the stretch for any other injuries. And if Nuosu comes back healthy, just one more guy that can get to the opposing passer. And that sort of starts it up. Sad, side, sad, bootleg, side note. Love to see Derek Hall start to earn some of those rush reps. Hasn't happened yet. His snap counts have been down for each of the last two games compared to weeks two, four. So it might just be a balance thing. You'd think there'd be more opportunity with, again, most of snaps having to be divided up between the other guys. We both loved Hall coming out of Auburn. Thought he was a little underrated. Um, Hasn't come on for him, but if you want the sort of hopeful, you know, sunny side up version of this, Mafe didn't either in his first season and look at him now. So don't write off Hall. He's not there quite yet. We'd like to see more of him as he develops, and really hope he takes that sophomore jump in the same way.
1: You know who did show up in their first year?
0: <laughs> Hell yeah,
1: <laughs> Devin Witherspoon. Yep. Wow. Okay. Um. As as confident as I am that uh, Miles Garrett is in the running for defensive player of the year right now, I am even more confident that Spoon is is a top, not not even top three top two candidate for defensive rookie of the year it's him and jalen carter right now uh in, ter- in terms of who's going to get the award and you could argue equally for for either of them that's saying a lot like you brought up jalen is the only other guy over over a three to one ratio in yep. terms of quality rush reps um the fact that spoon over his last three games if you just threw the ball at the dirt you would have had a higher passer rating than targeting Devin Witherspoon. His passer rating when targeted is 6.3. That's unheard of. <laughs> yep. In a 3-game sample size. He's got 3 pass breakups, a pick, only 14 yards allowed in coverage uh <laughs> the entire 3-game stretch that 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 he's been on and when when they kind of figured out like, "Oh, he's an elite nickel." Like right now, like today, he's an elite nickel. Like he is a Ronde Barber type of guy as a rookie in in the first month of his existence in the league. So they kind of like made him a full-time nickel and he's just been absolutely demolishing everybody. Also has a sack and a half over that period. So it's not just him in coverage, it's him as a pass rusher. He's great against the run. He tackles like Pete Carroll I think is ready to adopt him like <laughs> he,
0: he thinks he's his favorite grandson. I was going to say son but like Pete's too old for that. Like <laughs> he went to the podium this week and basically said, "Oh man, just just such a good football player." <laughs> like he just gushed in a way that like Carroll's always very positive about his guys, but it's different with Spoon. He sees it. He loves the way that guy's playing right now, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe it's a reverse curse. I hope it's a reverse curse. But if the Seahawks pick like one of the preeminent defensive backs and hit on him two years in a row and get pipped for Defensive Rookie of the Year twice by teams in green, there's going to be deep <laughs> sadness in the Pacific Northwest. And it might happen, but I, I hope not. I hope Spoon keeps playing well. I hope Jalen Carter keeps playing well. That's what we want to see. But he has as soon as he came into the lineup, he missed the first couple of games with injuries. He started playing from his first game. There was no warm up. There was no figuring it out. He made an impact. I was actually in the stands for that game against Carolina. It was the spoon show. Like he was all over it. Like he made, you knew when he was on the field and a lot of rookies kind of got to wait. Maybe there's a flash here or there. Nope. Not with spoon. Like you knew when he was on the field, he was affecting the game from, you know, the first snaps and he's just kept it going. It has, he's the opposite of Dak, no roller coaster. Just, you know, all killer, no filler, foot on the gas, like, let's go. And it's been really, really cool to see. If the Browns have a chance in this game, it's the Seahawks offensive line. It's beat up. We talked about how good Miles Garrett's been. The rest of that defense is really good. They got to keep hits off Chino. Look, this line is deep into its backups. They only allowed two sacks against the Cardinals. But the Cardinals aren't Jim Schwartz's yeah. Browns defense. Like, it's not the same thing. So I, I know that might be sort of booing some Seattle fans right now. Well, we did pretty good last. Uh, it's not, not not the same animal that you're going to be facing. On the plus side for Seattle's offense, Kenneth Walker, he's just rolling right now. He was the only 100-yard rusher in the league last week. Um, looked good doing it. Again, another guy that has really brought impact to the lineup. Since the very beginning. And, you know, as long as he's been healthy, when he's been in there, he's a threat every time. And there's not a ton of guys in the league that are a threat every time they touch the ball from the running back position. He's one of them. Um, that's that's where the Browns are gonna have to try and make hay is just you know, attacking that offensive line that's down on guys, getting pressure on Gino again, pressure and hits, limits his effectiveness in the passing game. If they don't do that with JSN coming on last week they've still got their rush threat. Sounds like DK is going to play this week. Like that's a that's a difficult skill position group to sort of put a lid on and the only way they're going to do it is get through that offensive line and hit Gino.
1: Overall, Gino uh since the first week of the year. Like, you know, the the Rams game there there was a lot of uh, consternation amongst film Twitter about how Gino handled that first game against the Rams. Obviously, the famous soundbite of Aaron Donald busting through and Gino going, "Oh my God!" You know. But since that game, Gino's been back to being Gino, in yep. my opinion. Sharp, um, very sharp. Like the two picks that he threw against the Bengals. Like honestly, those were just amazing plays by DBs, more so than bad throws or bad decisions from Gino. And for at least in, in my opinion, just kind of because I. I Look at what he's doing every single week because I love Gino. Uh, ever since the Rams game, he has played significantly better and is back to being himself. He's distributing the ball extremely well. Um, I would like to see JSN get more targets, but that's just because I'm selfish and I want JSN <laughs> to get more targets because he's on my fantasy team and I really fucking need that. Oh, um, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, enough said. Like, I'm not go. saying it's a noble motive. I'm just saying yeah. I have a motive to want it's JSN a motive. To yeah. There was a there was a throw he had last week, and um, speaking of JSN, everybody's like, "Oh, JSN would have had a touchdown. Like, why didn't Gino uh, unleash oh, that yeah. ball?" But like, yeah. it, if you're looking at it, like, there's there's no way that Gino could have known that JSN was going to be open. Like he the the safety, like you don't know. And, and Nate Tice did like a little study of it on Twitter. You don't know where the safety is going to go before you let the ball out. And so you kind of have to make an anticipatory throw based on like wh- where, like, what's the least threatening throw I can make based on where the safety is right now. And going away from JSN was the least threatening throw. And by God, he hit it. Like Gino was dropping dimes last week. So, yeah, I'm selfishly frustrated that JSN didn't get the touchdown. But at the same time, objectively <laughs> speaking,
0: hell of a throw yeah you're back to I love Gino being sharp if he could point it in another direction (laughs) it would be good no reason but like it's been good to see him back I that was one of my we always say that week one throws off tons of false positives, but that was probably my largest like lump in the throat panic moment from week one was Gino looking like trash. And I was like, Oh no, did the magic dust wear off? <laughs> like, and then he came back pretty steadily after that and, and retained his form. And uh, from last year, which was incredibly sharp, you know, top seven or eight quarterback in a league at the lowest. Um, so Really good to see him back. Like football is just a whole lot better in Seattle when he's playing the way he is. One
1: quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. We're about a month away from the best football holiday of the year, Thanksgiving, and it's never too early to plan on how you're going to do your turkey. It's possible even that some of you listening have never done a whole turkey before, and that's totally okay. But if you want some inspiration and guidance for how to do a turkey the right way, our friends over at ButcherBox can help you out with that. They do have whole turkeys available for order, as well as a recipe page dedicated to how to do a great apple cider brine for the turkey, as well as how to roast it to perfection. So whether you're a turkey-making veteran or this is your first time ever, it's going to come out great. And ButcherBox, of course, has recipes for every other cut of meat that they offer as well. All of their beef is 100% grass-fed. They have free-range chicken and turkey, obviously, wild-caught seafood, and pork that's raised crate-free. Whatever cut of meat you can think of, they have it available to deliver right to your door in either custom or curated boxes. And if you do want to get one of those whole turkeys that I mentioned earlier for free, by the way, if you order anything from ButcherBox and use our promo code bootleg to get literally any order before November 12th, you will also get an entire 10 to 14 pound turkey for free with that first box plus $20 off your first order as well. Again, that is an entire Thanksgiving turkey for free plus a $20 discount on the price of that first box just by using promo code BOOTLEG at ButcherBox.com slash BOOTLEG. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it.
0: Next game, Bengals versus 49ers. I'm guessing the Bengals are going to look pretty darn sharp after bye week with even more time for Joe Burrow to get physically right. He was starting to, before the bye look like Joe of old um, and certainly in his mobility. And I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say that Jamar Chase has a day again. And my, most people might say, well, it's not much of a reach EJ. Um, But neither (laughs) San Francisco outside corner has looked as solid over the last couple of weeks as they did, as they both did earlier in the season, they looked kind of unassailable for the first month of the season. And the cracks in the armor have showed up over the past couple of weeks and They're allowing more throws out there. They're not getting as many calls or they're getting more calls against them for DPI. Um, They're not getting away with as much. And they've looked sort of very attackable. And if you want to pick a player in the league to attack somebody, if they're on the shaky edge of confidence, I'm going with Jamar Chase. So I'm betting that the Bengals challenge vertically, especially early on.
1: Also have to mention that Joe may or may not have more time to to take shots to Jamar because Orlando Brown is apparently going to be back this week coming off injury. He will have his hands full with a very, 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 very good 49ers defensive line that is also very, 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 very embarrassed about what happened against Minnesota last week. So, you know, Bosa against a freshly reinserted Orlando Brown. I would probably favor Bosa in that one, so he's going to have to hold up. Actually, now that I think about it, Orlando Brown played against Bosa in uh,
0: in college, right? I think he did. Yeah, they've matched up before, and it's, it's a weird matchup. Well, it's not a weird matchup. It's two very talented players who have two very different styles, and if Bosa can stay out in space, play and use space well it favors him. If he gets anywhere near Orlando Brown and Orlando Brown gets his mitts on him, like, well, that's it become, it, if I recall, it becomes correctly, a much more neutral gig. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the OU Ohio state, game,
1: I think that was Baker's last year, if I recall correctly. Um, in the OU Ohio state game, I remember when Bosa was coming out. No, I do remember that now. Um, Orlando beat Bosa consistently cause he literally just got his hands on him early and Bosa couldn't deal with the length. I don't remember if they played against each other in the pros ever since then, but um, that has been the one thing that has hampered. Not many things have hampered Nick Bosa since he came in the NFL, but the one (laughs) thing that has is kind of the same thing that happened in college where if he's going up against a really, really, really long tackle, that can get into his chest first before he lands that swipe. That's why he relies on the swipe so much is because he has to clear his chest constantly. Um, it, that's kind of the one thing that, that he struggled to deal with. But um, yeah, I have to go back and look to see if Orlando played against him in the NFL. I, I truly can't remember because Orlando has been in the AFC his entire career, but he's bounced
0: around. So I don't know if they've ever actually. Yeah. It seems like I'm not sure. It seems like they, I was going to say must have, I I'm going to tone that down and say might have. Um, Interestingly enough on the Bengals defensive side, I'm going to introduce a, a San Francisco stat I'm going to call it the CMC effect. We've we've had the Dion effect at, at Boulder and Colorado. This is the CMC effect. Average rushing yards in San Francisco wins this season for CMC, 102. Average rushing yards in San Francisco losses this season, 44. So he is the spark plug of this particular engine. If they get him rolling, look out. They're probably on their way to a W if the defense can somehow manage to limit those carries and keep his yards low, not going to say San Francisco's not going to win, but it feels a lot less guaranteed. So that's the Bengals' task on defense is key on CMC and try and limit that guy. It's not an easy thing to do. They have uh, gotten
1: better in terms of their run defense. I mean, they started out shaky as all hell, but uh, against (laughs) Seattle, which is a very productive run game, Held K-Walk to 3.5 per carry. Stuff rate of 18%, which is really, really high. So we know it's in them to be a good run defense. Uh, A lot of it comes down to uh, how the Bengals' defensive tackles are playing because when they are right, boy, they are really right. Um, Extremely talented uh, interior defensive line rotation for Cincy, led by, of course, DJ Reader. So we'll see if they can hold CMC. This might be the toughest test they faced as a run defense the entire year, specifically because of how prolific Christian is at maximizing every single run through vision and tackle breaking ability and balance through contact and all that kind of stuff. Like even if you fit it correctly, he's the kind of guy who's going to get one or two extra yards and turn a three yard gain into a five yard gain, which what that's what makes CMC so good is he just keeps you on schedule in addition to providing that dynamic element as a runner and a receiver. Um, so very, very tough test uh, for the Bengals run defense to keep him from keeping them on schedule, if that linguistically <laughs> makes sense. Um, I followed it. Yeah, so, you somebody out there
0: followed it. Long and noisy train, but I followed it. Uh, the rest of the 49ers offense is uh, interesting. I'm just going to call it odd. Kittle's usage is odd. If anybody has him in fantasy, you already know this. Super frustrating. It's, I'm just going to call it weird. Had seven total targets over the three games combined before Minnesota. Had seven targets alone in the Minnesota game. So makes predicting his usage or impact in the passing game a total crapshoot, which makes him a perfect 49ers offensive player, as you're well aware. Having to, you know, predict Ayuk's usage or not over the past couple of seasons, you're familiar with this trend. <laughs> but it does sort of it. It's consternating to me because I'm like, if you have George Kittle. And he wins as often as he does, even when he's not targeted, especially as a vertical threat, which fewer tight ends really fit that, you know, matchup profile. Why, why wouldn't you do that more often? Doesn't that seem like a good thing to do? But somehow Shanahan loves to consternate us multiple different ways. This is just one of them. One guy has been heating up both in terms of looks and impact is Juwan Jennings, um, he is a guy that keeps showing up and he keeps showing up in sort of those high leverage situations, first downs. He's becoming sort of the quiet gotta go to guy on like third and medium, starting to pay those off. Uh, you know, overall production not super high, but if you look at the impact and the leverage of of the catches he has made over the past couple of weeks, like the the thermometer's going up there. The Juwan Jennings factor is heating up in this offense, but the real story of San Francisco's offense is, drumroll please, Brock Purdy is out. Yeah. And
1: I will say this, EJ, let's just let's, let's put a scenario out into the ether. It's two <laughs> minutes to go. It's a two-point game. Sam Darnold drives the field, sets up a game-winning field goal, uh-huh. an easy game-winning field goal, and they make it. The rookie kicker makes it. You,
0: you mean one they make. <laughs>
1: When they make, or if he just yeah. outright throws a touchdown, doesn't even leave it in the kicker's hands. Ugh. The takes all across sports media, whether it's online or on TV, the takes will be fucking nuclear. And I am going to stay far, far away <laughs> from it. I. It doesn't even matter how well Sam plays. I'm just going to give him a golf clap, say, good job, Sam. I'm not going to try to project who's going to start. I'm not going to try to get into Kyle's head about who's who he favors, who's better. I'm not even going to attempt it because as far as I'm concerned all Kyle Shanahan cares about at this point is not losing three in a row. That's all he cares about. Whether it's with Brock, whether it's whether it's with Sam, I'll let like Mad Dog Russo deal with like the toxicity of of trying to create a quarterback uh, controversy. Uh, uh, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to watch Sam Darnold play football again in the year of our Lord 2023. Don't know if we're ever going to see it again, but I'm going to enjoy it while we can. Sam, if there was ever a time for you to play well uh and, and hopefully save your career, it's now.
0: I am here for the chaos. You know, the scene at the end of Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. You're a, where a the
1: messy g- little bitch, EJ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> where the guy's face just melts at the end of Raiders, right? That's going to be like sports talk media in general. If Darnold does anything resembling competence and the 49ers win really by any margin in this one, Monday is literally going to be face melting. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. I'm with you. I will be, you know, away from that chair or away from that pool (laughs) in my folding chair with a beer, just watching it unfold because it's gonna unfold if that happens.
1: Uh, if it does happen, it will probably happen. Oh, God, why am I doing this? It'll probably happen <laughs> because it's a Brandon Iuk game,
0: EJ. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Oh, I, I knew we couldn't make it through this segment without talking about Ayuk, And rightfully so. I like, playing great this year, but it is fun to recycle all the cold, medium, freezing, hot, searing takes of of Brett Coleman over the past couple of years about Brandon Ayuk. And I don't know at this point I'm, I'm so far like spun by the curse that I'm not sure whether it's helping or hurting or pushing Ayuk up or pushing Darnold down. I can't figure out which one it is anymore. So again, I'll just sit back in my lawn chair and, and tip my beer and I'm I'm just saying, man, it's a, it's a very man coverage,
1: heavy defense in Cincy in Cincy. Like who's their best man beater. It's Brandon Ayuk. (laughs) Like if, uh, uh, if it's not CMC, you know, working against linebackers and safeties all day, like it's going to be IU. Cause so like on paper, he should go off, which means he definitely won't. I'm going to start him anyway, because <laughs> we know where this is going, but
0: you did this to yourself. You really did. That's
1: what I get for drafting him every single year.
0: Even Something I tell like
1: myself that. I'm not going to.
0: All right. Let's talk about the 49ers defense. They've looked a little more fallible. For the past couple of weeks, they again, two weeks ago, if you said there were cracks in the 49ers defense, we both would have called you crazy. They'd played very complete games over the first month of the season. Um, If Burrow can get hot just like Cousins did, and we know he can, we've seen him hit, I think, even streaks more consistently than Kirk has. But microwave Cousins, we'll talk about him in a bit. Um, If Joe's throwing darts early, it could be a long day for the Niners. We talked about the corners down the field We talked about Jamar's matchup with them um cbs are going to get tested all three of them they're going to test both outside corners and because the bengals have good enough wide uh, wide receivers they're going to be testing the nickel as well um outside guys have been struggling with penalties down the field and oliver's going to draw tyler boyd who is one of the better wide receiver threes in the league and joe will hit him joe uh, does not play favorites he does not tend to over prioritize or over target people he will take what the defense gives him and if the nickel is trailing Tyler Boyd he's gonna throw it to Tyler Boyd so if they get on that role and Joe is throwing pinpoint darts we've seen him do it before early on 49ers could be playing catch up in this one which I think if we again given that take a month ago given where the Bengals were and the 49ers were people would have said what are you talking about but future us is saying mm, I don't know if that starts happening and the Bengals have certainly been rounding back into form. It's going to be a lot longer day for San Francisco. In
1: terms of uh, the plan, the defensive plan for the 49ers, I'm not 100% sure what they're going to do. Um, they've kind of had a little bit of everything uh, so far this year. It's been less, less cover two heavy like what we saw with D'Amico Ryan's, more man coverage heavy, um, definitely a lot more aggressive, I would say, in terms of blitzes. Like Steve Wilkes is is not afraid to bring pressure. I'm not entirely sure, like I said, what they're going to do, but in terms of what might work, what might give them their best chance at success, uh, I would say bringing even more blitzes this week is is probably uh, probably what's called for here. You know, I'm talking like cover one dog, where it's man coverage across the board, single high safety. You're bringing five rushers instead of four, which would be bread, uh, not bread, Fred. Man, <laughs> breakfast beers doing wonders on I mean, I, away,
0: I'm going to say it's not just for breakfast anymore, <laughs> folks.
1: <laughs> well, we've been up since like 4 a.m., so it's again, it's a lunch beer. It's a lunch beer, technically. Agreed. Um, but Fred is, is just as good of a blitzer as he is in coverage. He doesn't get credit for that, but he's an excellent pass rusher. And so I would say bringing him is is crucial in this game because of how much empty protection that Cincy likes to use because Joe Burrow likes to use empty protection, meaning five guys protecting, five out in the route. Like That's why I I think that they should be blitzing here is because you want to create as many one-on-ones as you can with Bosa, as many one-on-ones as you can with Hargrave, like with, honestly, the entire defensive line. Bringing an extra guy to... Either um, give you, like, an extra contain rusher, uh, which would be Fred kind of looping around the outside to give your edges and three techniques, you know, um, the freedom to, to work inside and not have to, you know, use your edges for contain but use Fred for contain so that Bosa can get, like, a true two-way go. Um, like, that's, that would be really nice to see or even just using him to occupy the center. So, again, you get one-on-ones across the board, You know, using him on stunts, using him on twists, like using him in uh, even you can use him in a four man rush uh, and use him. um, How do I explain this without a diagram? So there's like Uh a
0: whiteboard time.
1: (laughs) There's a five man pressure that can become a four man pressure uh, with a change call where like Fred is rushing. And if you get a running back fast to the flat, the edge will just peel off. Now, I wouldn't want to waste Bosa on that, but if he's rushing from the other side and then, you know, their answer is a running back fast to the flat, which since he does quite a lot, you just peel off the edge, and then all of a sudden the tackle's blocking nobody, and then, you know, the guard's blocking a a three technique, and then Fred just comes right through. Like, San Francisco's done that several times this year. Like, I just think all manner of using Fred as a pass rusher is – is key in this one uh, specifically because of how the Bengals pass protect with only five guys instead of six
0: or seven. Be nice if they can find that balance. Speaking of balance, brings us to our last game. And this is the one I alluded to at the top where people might say, why'd you pick that game? Vikings versus Packers. Mm -hmm. First off like barf, but we have to talk about (laughs) that. These two teams on average, and this is a fascinating, split every year. Vikes are literally 8-10 and 2 versus the Packers over the last 10 years. Like, you want a series that goes right down the middle. This is it. Eight wins, ten losses, and two ties. Like, that is as close as it gets. One of the reasons we're talking about it other is. Other than other than 10-10, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Second, I mean, second so closest as it gets. But if if you go to those ties and went back and looked at them and looked at how close they were to being a win for either team. Most likely, again, ties in the NFL, like even win, even single point, like field goal wins in the NFL. A couple calls go either way. The other team gets it like this is an incredibly even series. One of the reasons we're talking about this game is because of the Vikings mini resurgence, which we didn't predict last week. One of our many fallible calls. We expected that Vikings are going to lose that game. There's going to be more trade deadline talk. No, they pretty much smushed all of that because the Vikings offense like microwave Kirk will cover a lot and lot is capitalized, lot of flaws, like almost any flaw. In fact, when he is throwing the ball like he was in the last game, he I'm going to call that unstoppable. There were a bunch of throws he completed that I would basically give zero chance to. Like, he was under pressure, getting hit. The guy was tightly covered. Put it right in there. All the numbers, like, you just can't stop a perfectly thrown pass, and Microwave Kirk will throw a lot of perfect passes. Jordan Addison thriving in the absence of Justin Jefferson. A lot of people predicted that he wouldn't necessarily take the additional load as well, and that, you know, people would focus on him, and that that would limit his production. I'm sorry. He looks like he did his last year at Pitt right now. He is winning everywhere at all three levels short to medium game and then immediately threatening with yak we talked about how important yak is in a previous game he's a problem right now he is he is not just a guy subbing like he is a guy that defensive coordinators really quickly like as soon as this week are going to look at and go okay this is a focus we need to see what we're going to do about him we need to put a plan together for this one player because he's showing a level of dynamism or showed a level of dynamism against a previously really good pass defense that should definitely worry some people. But talk about balance. We talked about that coming into this game, Minnesota running game. Lacks balance right now they're getting it done they're passable they're average they're whatever you want to say but man do they miss the explosive run play that they used to get with dalvin in his heyday they don't they don't have a way to generate that right now and so their runs are okay if you look at them from an efficiency standpoint they were really bad to start the season they've certainly come up but like cam Akers last week was like a carry or something like it's just good enough to keep doing it but they're not getting anything out of that side of the ball they're really doing it just to keep some balance and then all of their sort of dynamism and explosiveness is coming out of the pass game and in some ways that makes them easier to defend especially if kirk has a cooler day but um what do you think the packers need to do against a suddenly hot vikings offense
1: uh, respect Jordan Addison for one and, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. Like I thought when Addison came out, A, I thought he could go with the first round very easily. Like I like Jordan Addison mm-hmm. a lot. First round pick was totally cool with me. I saw him as a a very high end number two receiver that if you really needed him to be a number one, I like a Tyler Lockett, like he he could do it for a stretch, but I, I never saw him as like dominant alpha number one like every single week you can count on him and so going into this this test without justin jefferson against a very good niners d i was like i don't know about this like (laughs) you and all of a sudden he played like a true number one receiver in the nfl and got two more touchdowns like all this kid does is is catch touchdowns And i'm like okay i think i might have i think i might have underestimated jordan addison in the sense that he's not the number two receiver version of tyler lockett he's Again, he's the, the 1B version of Tyler Lockett, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the guy that if DK's out, you're not worried about the pass game because he can play that role. And not to mention K.J. Osborne stepped up, Brandon Powell.
0: Everybody. I mean, I mean, my God, everybody. When when Kirk's throwing the ball like that, it's everybody because he's putting it on him. And, you know, we've seen Lamar put it on his receivers and them not catch it. Like, Kirk put it on him, and they all caught it. It yeah. was stunning. But, but Addison
1: in particular really, um, I don't want to use the word surprise. Like he didn't surprise me, but he exceeded what I thought he could have been when pressed into that role as like, we need you to be a number one, like, and not just survive, but, but thrive like that, that, that was really, really impressive to me. So, um, I think it's safe to say the Vikings hit on that one. You know, all all Minnesota does is draft good receivers, apparently. Uh, They're very, very, very good at that. And and Addison's another one of those in a long train of success. Um, In terms of the Vikings' defense, they are still blitzing like crazy. Uh, They will continue to blitz like crazy. What kind of annoys me is that just based on the personnel packages they're playing, arguably their most effective pass rusher has not been on the field because they've used a lot of packages with one linebacker uh, and Ivan Pace is not the one linebacker they're putting on the field, even though he has by far their best pass rush win rate on the team. It's 30%, which is outrageous, but he's not getting snaps because they're usually only putting one linebacker on the field and having like Josh Metellus of all people essentially play will instead of having Ivan Pace play will. So I have my issue with Brian Flores for not putting my guy on the field. But other
0: than that, boy, they play a risky style, but I guess it's working. It'll pay off until it doesn't. And in terms of the Ivan Pace usage, it reminds me of a couple of other conversations we've had in other places this week about rookie usage. One was here Joey Porter Jr., like, hey, he's playing really well. Why don't you play him more? And Quentin Johnson, like, you're playing him, but we don't really think you're using him right. Like, can you keep playing him, but put him back to what he was really good at doing in college? And Ivan Pace was really good at blitzing in college. Like, second highest pressure rate in this entire class. Like, just a really, really good blitzer. Everybody knew that. He goes to Brian Flores. We're like, sweet, match man heaven. And they don't use him that way. Don't understand it. Don't need to uh, hope it changes because, man, Ivan Pay is blitzing on third down down—it's a lot of fun. Switching over to the Packers offense, I want to start off with an interesting fact of the week. This comes from my colleague Taylor Dahl over at Windy City Gridiron. She dug this one up. Credit to Taylor. She's doing great work over at Windy City with the interview series. Good, good stuff. Packers haven't had a 300-plus yard passing game since December 12th, 2021. That is the longest streak in the NFL right now and that's including a lot of Aaron Rodgers games in there. That is mostly Aaron Rodgers games <laughs> if you're keeping if you're keeping score at home. Um Jordan Love right now on the struggle bus. Um under 60% completion for the season in a Matt LaFleur offense. That's the kicker there. Is Matt LaFleur's offense is generally very good at getting the quarterback scheme touches so that their completion percentage would presumably be higher. Not working out right now. 10 TDs with seven picks. Not awful, but those are like rookie numbers and some people might say well jordan love is a rookie he's not he's a third year player he's seen a lot of football but he is learning like a rookie and those are rookie like production numbers um has a qbr under 15 this is the one that's just a dagger in two out of the last three games the get right game against denver helped out a little bit there or it would have been three out of three like confidence is going to start to be a problem not only for jordan himself um i you know Don't know him, never interviewed him, don't know what he's like in terms of mental makeup, but the confidence outside of himself in terms of the overall offense. This is what happens when the weight of a team's success is put on one player or one unit and they don't deliver over a period of time like people start to grouse. People start to go, what's going on here? Why don't we make a change? We're all out here playing as hard as we can. We're not getting results. Like, that's what I mean. Like, overall confidence. I know fan confidence, obviously, from checking some Packers media, is already in the toilet. But in terms of confidence, it really matters in the room amongst the players and the coaches. Like, if they continue not to be able to deliver on offense and Jordan's playing at this level, like, it's going to become a thing. And it's not going to be super long until that happens
1: who was it in Packers media that you had a bet
0: with about, Oh, it's not me. It's not me. That Zim's bet with Peter Bukowski about, uh, I think it's, is was it, it passer QBR? rating? Well, cause if it's passer rating, Justin,
1: because I know the bet was like, uh, Justin Fields against Jordan love. It was either in QBR or passer rating. Um, yeah. Or right EPA now, per
0: play. I think it might, I think he might've given him EPA per play, which gives Justin the running, the rushing yards but yeah that still. one's that one's like a two well, lane horse <laughs> race right now <laughs> even passer
1: rating's not close like it's yeah. it's still no. it's still pretty pretty far in fields favor um i will say on in regards to like the the Matt LaFleur offense and how we're used to seeing just guys be open all the time um when i was when i was watching film preparing for this game I noticed a lot of receivers. Honestly, structurally, it reminded me of the Matt Canada offense in in Pittsburgh, in the sense that it's a lot of screenplays on downs that you don't typically expect to script like second and short. We're calling swing screens. Um, you know, first and five. Like you get a, you get the benefit of a penalty, so it's first and five. Why don't we take a shot here? Nope, we're calling spacing, and. The offense structurally, it's a lot of stuff at the sticks. It's a lot of receivers turning around and showing their numbers. And I know we're used to saying, oh, the is really good at scheming up guys to get open. And I still think he is, but he's not calling the offense that way. Like he is calling it like Canada is calling the Steelers offense. And I would, I would almost say it feels like the training wheels are on. And he's calling it very conservatively, he's calling it very scared to let his quarterback throw down the field because good things generally don't happen when they throw it down the field. And so structurally, everything's always contested because, again, we're we're having to, to throw into these windows where guys are sitting down in between zones and then you know, it's, it gets turnaround, catch the ball, get tackled. Like that's, that's what it is right now to the point where the Packers have, uh, the second highest percentage of their routes being contested 19.5%. That's, that's a lot of routes being contested. Um, that is second only behind, or sorry, third, uh, behind only the Steelers and the Falcons. The Steelers are second and only by like 0.6%. So It's rough out there to be a Packers receiver because you're not really given an opportunity to, you know, run into space deep down the field. You're not really given an opportunity to work in the deep intermediate area of the field. Like, they're just not really calling that type of stuff because they're calling a very safe offense structurally because I just don't think they trust Jordan to make those throws. I mean, as a team, the Packers have, um, the uh, completion rate on throws of 20 plus yards down the field of 21.2%. Like the bears, the bears, EJ, the bears are at 48% on 20 plus yards down the field. Like it's, it's not good. It's not good. And, And they're calling the offense like they don't trust their quarterback. And it's not like love played terribly last week. Like he wasn't objectively horrible. But just looking at the offense, it feels like they are designing it in a way where he can't be horrible because they're afraid of him being horrible if they open it up. And
0: that might be an even worse problem if we're being honest about it. Yeah, it reminds me of the baseball stat war, you know, wins above replacement in terms of a replacement level player, that being um, an even line in that statistic. Currently, for the last. Two to three weeks, Jordan Love has been well below replacement. Like, again, not awful, not like actively creating negative plays for your team, but most other quarterbacks in the league are giving you a few shots a game where they're, you know, prospectively adding points or perspective points. Like, mm, doesn't feel that way with Jordan Love right now. And from an efficiency standpoint, Aaron Jones was pretty effective in his return 4.4 a carry. It seems like they had him on a pitch count. He only got eight carries, so that's the flip side of that. More would be very good for this offense right now. Aaron Jones, a dynamic player when he's fully healthy that can carry the load, and man, the Packers need it right now because they're not getting it from Dylan. Uh, but he's still limited in practice. It feels like they're kind of like, come on, come on back. Like, we don't want to hurt you, but we really need you. So we're going to try and, again, pick the few spots a game where you can influence it and they they don't need that right now. They need their, you know, awesome running back that they paid a lot of money. Who's very good to come back be fully healthy because they're counting on him to sort of carry the base or create the base for this offense and then let Jordan make a few plays a game in selected spots that I think that was the plan going into the year. And instead you get Jones hurt and a lot more gets thrown on a Jordan loves played a lot earlier they do that for a couple of weeks and then it starts not working out or working out in a very negative fashion. And now you get what you're talking about. It's is this sort of ratcheting down to like, this is as far as we can push it. Cause if we go anymore, this motor blows up and we don't want that. <laughs> she can't take any more captain. No, no, we already got the steam <laughs> max level. Like just keep it, keep it from exploding until we get some guys back healthy. Uh, and then maybe we can, you know, try and reel some stuff off, but it feels extremely limited right now. On
1: defense, I would say it's, I mean, it's not to the same degree, but similar kind of story where I feel like because of of a rash of very unfortunate injuries, they're not playing up to the level where on paper going into this year, we thought they could have, you know, Quay Walker, surprise, surprise, has kind of turned it around and, and he's been very good for them, but they're overall pretty thin at linebacker with the Campbell injury, you know, Devontae Wyatt's banged up. You had Stokes go on IR. You had Savage go on IR. Um, Jair's banged up a little bit. Uh, God, who I th- feel like 80% of their defense showed up on the injury report in the last month. Like it's, it's a very, uh, a combination of hurt and injured group, depending on, on uh, who you're looking at, which again, two very different things, hurt and injured two two different things. But their depth has been tested and their depth has been found wanting and going up against a Vikings offense led by a quarterback who apparently can just throw it at will all over the yard down a bunch of DBs. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not liking the recipe for this one, especially if Minnesota gets a couple scores early and then all of a sudden you have to throw a Jordan love. Like, do I think the Packers can dig out of that hole? Not really. Like, this this whole vibe of this game doesn't feel right to me. And um, I feel like the only person who's going to win is Tom Grassy getting all the Google ad revenue. It, you know, if they get their doors <laughs> blown off uh, by Minnesota, like, uh. he'll be happy. Well, he won't be happy, but, you he won't know, be he'll, happy. he'll be compensated for his time. There's a lot of Packers fans out there who won't be.
0: It's just it's just another depressing Sunday for them. Yeah, hey, uh, will 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 Fan for beer is going to be the sign after this one. And... <laughs> It's, you know, the only real hope I see and I say hope in air quotes because um, I'm not hopeful that this happens because it'll be a worse game overall. But if the Vikings play down, which they have a tendency to do, like if Kirk Cousins comes out and he's cold and they play down to an opponent, this one could be close again, like. Two, two fighters that both slip in the mud and end up like face first within the first minute of the round and then just kind of wrestle around for the rest of the time. Like that's what this game could turn into. I don't hope it does because that I don't think that'll be just mostly a frustrating watch for everybody. Us, the fan bases on both sides. Like that's, that's not a quality result, but that's the chance I think the Packers have in this one. Other than that, with all the injuries on defense, like Look, Rashawn Gary, we talked him up a lot and he's got a respectable 28 pressures, six sacks, not getting a ton of help. He was Wyatt had 19. But as you mentioned, he's out. Kenny Clark solid. At always has 16 pressures. Like, again, if all the guys were in the defensive line, if all the guys were in the secondary, this would be a very different picture, at least on defense. And then maybe like the Steelers, they could lean on their defense and just let their offense do the minimum and, and get a, you know, Not expected number of wins or above expected number of wins based on that sort of, you know, just sniping folks at the right time with one offensive touchdown in the fourth quarter. But that's not the way it's lining up right now for Green Bay. And you put in the notes, feels like two teams headed in different directions. And I couldn't agree more. Like the Vikings coming off a win against a, you know, previously very powerful San Francisco team and the Packers just kind of bumping along the bottom. All right almost two hours into the show already
1: probably have to almost do a little bit of a cut down but that's okay uh, a little before we head out parting glass section for quick parting thought uh, if we have one uh, emphasis on the word quick we're, we're pretty bad about that part but we're gonna try uh, my parting glass I was kind of looking at potential head coach availabilities Ooh. bears are probably going to be one given how this season is going, you know, even though they beat the Raiders. Like, I, I don't I don't think like that's enough, right? Um, like, I, I have to imagine there will be an opening in Chicago, especially if they end up with the first overall pick because that is going to be a very attractive job and they'll probably be able to get uh, almost anybody they want to. Um, the Raiders, also a possible opening because they lost to the Bears. <laughs> that's, that's about as embarrassing as it gets this year. Uh, and it kind of depends on what the McDaniels contract looks like and how much uh, Mark Davis is willing to pay Josh to not coach the team next year after he's already paying John Gruden to not coach the team. Like, Davis can afford it. The money is there, but it's more about if he wants to, again, get a new coach. Um, we'll see. The finances of it make, make things kind of interesting there. Uh, Tennessee. Dark Horse, also kind of possible as a head coach opening, seemingly because it feels like Carthon is more the one guiding that ship right now. Uh, I don't think Vrabel would have traded Kevin Byard. I think Carthon would have, you know, because Carthon's trying to collect assets. He's trying to position himself to rebuild a team that arguably is in need of a teardown and rebuild. Uh, looking around the league at the other bad teams, uh, we know Dable's safe, Belichick is safe, he just got extended, uh, Sean Payton's probably safe, um, Gannon is safe considering how hard the team is playing for him. Like I don't think that's a, a one-year no. thing there. Um, we'll have to see about Brandon Staley. There's been some very concerning losses that arguably shouldn't have been losses this year, but... We'll see if the team can turn it around like we if the Chargers are good at anything, it's starting out two and four and then ending up like 11 and five. Like we'll, we'll have to say that would be so Chargers of them. So looking at all of these potential destinations for a hot coaching hire, say one Jim Harbaugh, who is coming under fire at Michigan right now uh, for this uh, sign stealing scandal. Let's be honest, <laughs> every major college program is doing this uh, to some degree. Now, maybe there's not a 600 page manifesto involved and like a $15,000 travel budget involved. Like maybe not every school is doing that, but yeah, like every school is, is stealing signs to some degree. When you also factor in the suspension, he already, already had this year, you know, all the difficulties in the politics that come with being a college coach, let alone in a program like Michigan, it's very possible that Jim is just fed up after this year. Like if they win the natty, he doesn't really need to stick around anymore. So let's say Jim Harbaugh is going to be fed up with the governing bodies of college football. And he's looking at one of those destinations that we, that we listed out there.
0: Don't you put this on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put this on me? (laughs) See, you thought I was going to say the bears. Uh, you were last week, but then
1: a whole bunch of people said like, yeah, but him and Kevin Warren hate each other. True. Okay. I'll accept that premise. Let's say Kevin Warren. Even if Jim said, I'll come coach the bears right now. Let's say Kevin Warren said, no, we're going to do Ben Johnson or whatever in terms of the non bears destinations that to me make the most sense. I would say Jim Harbaugh, welcome to Las Vegas. Fun fact, the Raiders are where Harbaugh got his start as a coach. They gave him his first chance as a coach. He had freshly retired. He became the quarterback's coach uh, in Oakland at the time. They went on a Super Bowl run, and then a couple years after that, he got his first head coaching opportunity in San Diego. He loves the West Coast, like genuinely loves the West Coast. Um, Not that Vegas is the West Coast, but it's accessible, you know. Um, I think that I, I feel like the Raiders need a cultural reset that perhaps only Jim Harbaugh could give them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I think that he would have a blast not dealing with the internal politics of Big Ten football. And not to mention, considering the Raiders are now the ninth most valuable franchise in the NFL, I think that they, they will have more than enough liquidity to meet his financial demands, which are probably north of $10 million a year at this point. So looking at all those options, let's take the bears out of the equation. Do you agree? (laughs) I know you want Ben Johnson. Do you agree that the Raiders are the most likely destination
0: for Jim Harbaugh? Likely is such a tough word here, but I think they would be one of the most fun destinations. And I think it would probably be one of the best hires for the team. Because what you talk about in terms of, they need to change course in a fundamental way, not a, oh, we need some tweaks. We need this. Like the roster is pretty good, but we talk often about teams with rosters that are pretty good, that are not being maximized. That's clearly the Raiders right now. They got a bunch of good players on both sides of the ball. They are not getting the most out of them right now. It's certainly not in terms of consistency and in terms of like unanimity, in terms of all pulling the sled the same direction at the same time. And Harbaugh has shown an ability to bring that to teams he coaches. And I think that would be a welcome addition in Las Vegas. So I'm, I'm here for it. Plus it means he doesn't coach the bears. So are you anti Jim Harbaugh a little bit for the bears? I am, I'm not anti Jim Harbaugh as a coach. He's done great things at Michigan, especially over the last three years. I'd say he's really changed uh, his approach and it's showing like Michigan is a much different football team this year than it was three years ago. And he's still the coach and it's because of changes he made and changes he allowed to happen in the program. I think that's a mark of a really good coach. I do not think Harbaugh to the Bears would go well. I know a lot of Bears fans disagree with me. I know a ton of Michigan fans disagree with me. I know a lot of Jim Harbaugh fans that just clearly flat out disagree with me. I do not think that is a quality thing. I also think, and this is the scary part, that it is such a Bears move. If it was available, (laughs) um, that ownership more so than the general manager or, sorry, president um, Warren, who you mentioned earlier, who has Big Ten history with Harbaugh, that's not pretty. Um, I think management would be like, but he was a bear, like, but, but he was a bear, Kevin. Like, he was a bear. We we should have him. He was a bear. Um, and <laughs> was I Ben Johnson a bear? No. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think that was. I don't think that's the best particular match. But it does feel very much like a Bears thing to do. Now it might work out. Um, a lot of people are making that argument that it would work out. Um, if you want to like do something similar uh but not the same. I'd be really interested in Mike McDonald who worked for Jim Harbaugh as of a year ago. That would be fun. Uh I, but yeah I, I get the sense that
1: if if Harbaugh is leaving Michigan, I think Michigan gets McDonald.
0: That would be very interesting as well, but uh yeah if we're just talking about spite moves. But yeah, I would I would like to see Ben Johnson because of his ability uh, not only to craft an offense but not necessarily have that offense be super dependent on certain player archetypes like he took a Jared Goff who was generally considered mid tier or below and got very good results with him. I think that's a very good mark of a coach as well and certainly something the Bears need in terms of offensive consistency so we'll see you know people change you know this when they go from coordinator to head coach it's a different role it's an expanded responsibility there's just a lot more on your plate some people handle that really well some people don't who knows um we'll see what happens we'll see what happens but I think Harbaugh in Vegas would be fun
1: Like I said, folks, we're really bad at the whole quick parting thought. (laughs) We'll give you parting thoughts. I can't guarantee it'll be quick. (laughs) I'm
0: going to do better. All right. Set the watch. I think I can do it in two minutes. Go for it. All right. I love things in the NFL that are not as they first appear. If you look at Steelers running back Jalen Warren, you'll see a guy who's five foot eight tall and assume that he's probably a liability in pass pro. Then if you look a little bit farther into those weight stats you were talking about earlier, you go huh, 215 pounds packed onto that 5.8 frame. I don't know, maybe, might give you some pause about your take as a, yeah, (laughs) built like an absolute fireplug. Then if you look at tape, you'd see something completely different. You would see Warren lighting into anybody and everybody that enters the pit backfield and lighting them up, not just engaging them, but like blasting them. He is violent in pass pro. And if you gave Kenny Pick a truth serum, and I asked him which running back he wanted on, say, a slow-developing third and long pass play. I would be shocked if you didn't hear Warren's name. He's that good in pass protection. And that was less than two minutes. Also a very good receiver. Yes. So just
1: in general, put him on the field on third down, and and you're going to profit. Really good play. Totally, I, think, honestly, agree. I think he's better than Najee this year.
0: Uh, He gives them a different dynamic. And certainly I think most people, especially if you stacked up Najee, who's much taller, solidly built, and then look at Warren, who's a little bit shorter and certainly a little bit faster. People just tend to think, oh, third down back, you know, more explosive. But, oh, geez, what's going to happen when that defensive end gets loose? Take a look at what Warren does to those folks. He uses leverage to his advantage. Power pack of a player. Really fun. I'm with you. I would not. I don't think the drop off would be very much at all if, if Najee's out for a couple games with an ankle and Warren starts.
1: Yeah, this, this is not a Theo Riddick-type third down back. No. This dude's yoked. Um, all right. We're going to get out of here because we're approaching two hours on the show. Uh, I want to thank all of our sponsors for helping to make it possible. I want to thank our executive producers uh, over on the Patreon, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L., I also want to thank homage for working with us. Uh, EJ, you're working. You're you're wearing a,
0: an homage hoodie because they got a national park series. So you got the Denali. Uh, yeah, hoodie. and it the cool thing about their national park series is not only does it look cool, and of course feel great. Five percent of all the purchases go to support help support national parks causes, which is awesome. I love spending time outside. I um, think those places are really important to to who we are as a country. And I was thrilled to find out that they were given back through this program. So definitely. Asked one for mine in the quarterly order and uh, love the design. It's just as comfy as all the other ones, Um, you know, so really happy that they're a supporter of the program. They've been great partners and, you know, hey, if you want to support national parks and support us, use the link in the description. Any anything you purchase national parks, baseball, hockey, soccer, football, they have some college gear like any of that stuff. If you use the link, help support the podcast
1: want to thank everybody, if you're still here this late in the show, for being here this late in the champs, show. Champs. Uh, champs. Definitely helps the YouTube, YouTube algorithm, so to speak. Um, and if you're listening on the audio-only version, we also appreciate you, too. There's a lot less of you guys, but you're very special to us as well. Um, we'll see you back here Monday for our Week 8 recap, where, once again... I have no expectations of us to be correct about anything, and uh, we'll go over all the fun and uh, probably new ways that we've discovered to be flat-out wrong about the NFL, so uh, make sure to come back in a few days for that, and uh, until then, cheers.